Hello and welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point live. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here as well as in Appleton Stevens Point this morning and all those who watch us uh, on the internet all over the world and all you who watch us on television in the northern part of Wisconsin. Glad that you're with us uh, every Sunday morning watching and uh, let me encourage you, go to church. <laughs> Don't just sit there and watch TV in your underwear <laughs> and think you're going to church. All right. I love it that you tune us in. We do. But you need to go to church, so you got plenty of time. Turn that thing off, get dressed, and come to church. We've got campuses, Appleton, Stevens Point, Green Bay. You can check out more about us at celebrationchurch.tv, all right? And you get all the uh, information about when, where, and whatever. Uh, our uh, event in Appleton uh, is sold out, so if you can get tickets, yeah. Unless you wanted to come, and now it's sold out. So <clears throat> anyway, we're excited about that. Um, we are in a series called Significant Events of the Old Testament. What we're doing is we're going through the Old Testament and some of the key things that happen that really shapes who we are and why we worship the way we do, why we believe the way that we do, where the Messiah came from, all that information is found in the Old Testament. Now, Biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high today. So many people don't really know what the Bible says. They've only heard what others have said. Some of it's uh, even in the retelling often uh, gets, becomes inaccurate. People believe things that aren't really in the Bible at all. Some of it is significant. Some of it's not. You know, it's like <clears throat> if you ask anybody how many wise men were there, they'll say three. But the Bible doesn't say how many. The song says we three kings of Orient are. And so you all kinds of little things that people start thinking, oh, that's true, that's what the Bible says. And it doesn't say it at all. We're going back and trying, because you need to know. We all need to know. It used to be, <clears throat> in the early days of our founding, that in public schools, one of the first textbooks was actually the Bible. People were very literate about what the Bible said and what it did not say. Um, and then later on, people at least, whether they were devout or not, usually went to some kind of religious school or week, uh, every week of some kind of training. But that is all long past us, which is sad. And today, many people are coming to faith, and they honestly just don't know that much about it. So what we're doing is we're going to go and we're going to highlight the major events. We are now up to the life of Abraham. Now, Abraham is significant. Uh, this is where uh, Abraham is promised that he will become a father and, uh, of course, he waits, he waits, he waits, he waits, and he's believing God, but nothing's happening because his wife can't conceive. 
And she finally says, well, here, take my servant and have a child with her. And that's what he does. And the baby is born and they call him Ishmael. Now, Ishmael is the, uh, really the father of the Arabic nation. And if you were to check with any Muslim today, they will tell you that their line goes all the way back to Ishmael and Abraham. It is the big spinoff. Of course, then Isaac comes uh, through Sarah, and that's where the Jewish nation comes. So both Jews and Muslims, Arabs and Jews, trace their lineage, and Christians through uh, uh, Judaism, trace back to Abraham. He's like the key figure. He's the first one in the Bible that is recorded. He actually believed what God was saying versus just doing what God told him to do. That was a big deal. At least he was doing what God told him to do, but that's not really faith. Faith is stepping out and trusting what God says, uh, even though it doesn't seem like it can possibly happen. And that's what Abram was attempting to do and eventually did, and uh, all these wonderful things happened. So what we had just left off is uh, uh, God comes to Abraham. Uh, his name was Abram at the time. His wife's name Sarai. And uh, says, okay, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. And I'm telling you, she is going to be the one who's going to give you this child that I was talking about, not this other deal. And when Abraham found out that God was saying it would still be through Sarah, he laughed. And he says, how is this going to be? And uh, so uh, that was his response. And then God gives them this covenant between Abraham and God and all of his uh, descendants, the uh, deal about circumcision. And that's why Jews are still, because of religious reasons, circumcised, because it was instructed to do so. Also, Muslims are also circumcised for religious reasons, because they trace it back to Abraham. It's the two major religions, as much as they can't stand each other. They still start at the same place and have some of the same customs and beliefs. It's really rather fascinating uh, as you study this. So anyway, so that's why I just found out. Now, Abram is like 99 years old. Sarah's, you know, 90 or whatever it is. And uh, God says to Abraham, look, she's going to conceive a child. He goes, okay, you know. So we pick it up at chapter 18 in Genesis. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Now, it says when the Lord appeared to him, it wasn't actually the Lord God Almighty. It was three angels representatives of the Lord, referred to him as the Lord. But uh, I don't know how he knew they were angels. I don't know if they glowed. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how do you know? You're like, whoa, wow, look at these guys. He right away knew who they were. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. They were angels. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground out of respect. And he said, look, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, don't, don't, don't. Don't leave. Don't just go by because he sees them coming. And he says, stop, stop. Come on, sit down, relax. Let a little water be brought. And then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed. And then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. You know, hang out, stick around. We'll have a good time. Angel said, okay, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Now their version of quick. It's a little different than our version of quick. All right? <clears throat> this, this was not a fast meal. They didn't have fast meals. It, this is his version of feeding them. 
quick, get some seeds of the finest flour, knead it, and break some bread. She couldn't even reach into the plastic and pull out some bread for a sandwich. I mean, they have to start from scratch. That's what they did. Not only that, it says, then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to, replace, to uh, prepare it. So the guy's chopping up the cow and cutting off a piece of meat and Sarah's making bread from scratch. This is not fast food, all right? So they're all chilling, relaxing, and stuff like that. And then it says Abraham, after all this stuff got prepared, brought some cheese, curds, and milk. Yes, this is definitive biblical proof that Abraham was a Green Bay Packers fan. So, <clears throat> yes, curds. You got to do the cheese curds, right? So he says, yo, dude, let's have some cheese curds. They come and sit down. They bring the calf, everything prepared. And then they finally ate. How long this took, I have no idea. I would think I'd be really hungry by the time this all got around. So while they ate, he stood near them under a tree, and he's just chilling out. It's not every day you get to hang with some angels. And then one of the angels says, uh, hey, where, where, where's Sarah, your wife? He goes, over there in the tent. And then one of the angels says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your ha wife, will have a son. Well, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent. Who wouldn't listen, right? You got angels hanging out. You want to know what's going on. What are they saying? What are they saying? So she's, he says, hey, this time next year, Sarah will have a son. So, and of course, Sarah was past the age of childbearing. You know, the circus had closed down and moved on. It was all done. There was nothing happening at this point. She's like 90, whatever the deal is. So Sarah laughed to herself, as she thought, and after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, <clears throat> pet peeve of mine, I always talk about it. Uh, the NIV translation, the current translation of the Bible that we use is the clearest modern English translation that's uh, fairly very accurate. But I don't know who these pinheads were. Th these guys, anything remotely, ooh, ooh, don't talk about that. Ooh, they, they change words and throw stuff in there. That doesn't need to be in there because they go, you know, they're like prudes. I don't know who these guys were. I'd love to find them and give them all a swirly. <laughs> but many of you have heard me talk, and I say, no, that's not what the Bible, what it actually said is, and you're all shocked and stuff like that because, you know, like Wednesday night. If you came to our Wednesday night Bible study, you would hear these things. But on this Wednesday night, we're just reading in Philippians where Paul talks about all the great accomplishments that he had achieved, and everyone would want these kinds of accomplishments. He says, really, I consider it all a big pile of, and in the Greek, skubala, which is the crudest word in Greek to refer to one's excrement. The closest we have starts with the letter S. All right? And he literally said, to me, it's just a big pile of skubala. Whoa. And he did it intentionally. Now, if you Google this and you see what theologians say, they all struggle. Oh, why would he say that? Why would he use such a crude word? Oh, that's some, some, some kind of, as if it's a sin. It's not a sin. Now, your mama will slap you if you say it, but don't make it something holy or unholy. The Bible doesn't talk in those terms. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have done it. Well, pastor, the Bible says no corrupt communication should proceed out of your mouth. Yeah. You know who wrote that? Mr. Scubala here. Who said that? So what you think is corrupt and what they thought is corrupt, there's a lot of religiosity in our culture today that is just baloney, in my opinion. 
It is pharisaical. It is just they take their own little traditions up and they made it holy one way or the other. So the translators of this version of the Bible write like this. <clears throat> Paul said, I consider all my accomplishments uh, garbage. Garbage? No way is garbage as strong as a statement as it's a big pile of scuba. All right. And Wednesday night, we were talking about scuba. Scuba happens, man. <laughs> Got to learn how to deal with the scuba of life. All right. And, uh, and that's what the Bible is. Now, back to this phrase <clears throat> where Sarah says, after I'm worn out and old, will I now have this pleasure? Uh, the word this is not there. Virtually any translation of the Bible you will look at uh, s- takes the word this out. She just says, really, at this age, will I now have pleasure? She's talking about sex. All right. The idea of having a kid, we're way past that. She just can't even imagine doing the deed at this point. <clears throat> All right. And why these guys would think that's somehow inappropriate. We've got to think the word this or they think it's about having the baby. I mean, it just ticks me off. I don't know why. It just does. All right. And by the way, I, I deal with, you know, people all over the world with marriage and stuff like that. And one of the problems in the Southern Bible Belt, where they're all raised with the Bible stuff, is, and I talk to these ladies. They're all jacked up. They're married women and stuff. They, they tell me, it says, all their lives they were taught, sin, you know, sex is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And then they get married and say, okay, here you go. And they can't get past it. And it ruins their marriage life. For all their life, they struggle. Don't tell your kids it's bad. It's not bad and awful. It rocks. I am a big fan. <laughs> right? <clears throat> it's been number one on my hit parade for some time now. All right? <laughs> all we're telling you is do it right. Do it right. That's what it is. It's when you don't do it right. It's a jack. It actually makes it bad. And by the way, you young people, Listen to me, escuchame, okay? Pay attention. Of course, you are because I'm talking about sex. What? What? No, he's like, <laughs> I see the same stupid movies you see. And there's one thing your culture is always saying to you is, oh, losing your virginity is an incredible thing. It's the most wonderful night of your night. <laughs> and they, make it, they are lying to you. First time around, it's really awkward and creepy. All right? <laughs> It is. Don't be selling out your virginity for some lie. You know, do it right. That's why when you do it right, you're supposed to have the honeymoon. It takes a while to get the hang of it. In fact, and I'm telling the truth, in the law of Moses, it was told that when a young man takes a wife, he should start no new business, no new ventures, and he is exempt from military service for an entire year so he can, quote, pleasure his wife. They gave him a year to figure it out, all right? So... So don't do something stupid for some quick thing. Oh, it's going to be great. It's not great. And talk to anyone who's done it, especially in a bad circumstance, and it's just a massive disappointment. All right? Do it right. So anyway, apparently these translators are saying, oh, we can't talk about that. <sighs> Irritates me. All right, so then Abraham, the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid. Oh, now they're upset. So she lied and says, I didn't laugh. And they said, yes, you did. Now, I don't know what the big deal is because Abraham laughed and he didn't get yelled at. I don't get it. And then you read these theologians and they do all these intellectual bat flips to try to explain. No, when Abraham laughed, he laughed for joy knowing the Lord. That's not what he did. He laughed and said, really? How can this happen? So I don't know what the difference was. I have to check with God. I have no idea. All right, so now, these three guys get up, and they're going to leave. And they look down toward Sodom, 
two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, the twin cities where the Vikings played. <coughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham walked along with them to see, see them on their way. And then the Lord said, you know, they're talking among themselves, these angels, should we hide from Abraham what we're about to do? You know, you know. They talk about how you know, Abraham's going to be blessed and all this kind of stuff. And Abraham's kind of, you know, what's going on, what's going on? So in verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. Well, right away, Abraham freaks, because he knows it's bad. This place is out of control. They are totally and completely without restraint. They say no to anything. You talk about a culture caught up in their feelings. Everybody's, oh, I can't help it. I feel this way. I feel like this. You do that, it'll destroy your life. You listen to me? I don't care what you feel like. You need to do the right thing. Somebody say amen. amen. You got to quit following your, your feelings. will be your undoing. Man alive. People, and then these stupid psychologists in our culture encourage all this. You know, got to go with your feelings. You can't deny your feelings. You got to do what you feel. No, you don't. And these pinheads say, these are the people who said, you know, you shouldn't hold in your emotion. It's bad to hold it in, right? You've all heard of this stupidity, right? But yet the Bible says only a fool gives full vent to his emotions. Who are you going to believe? And by the way, these new studies coming out by these very same pinheads are showing they've been wrong. They're showing the people who are the most healthiest people are the ones who do hold it in. This whole thing of just gets everybody emotionally vomiting all over each other is bad. Married couples, pay attention. Don't be just bleh all the time. Well, I've got to tell you how I feel. No, you don't. Zip it, Skippy. <laughs> Better to have not said something and wish you had than had said something and wish you hadn't. Did you follow that? Better not to have said it. Oh, I wish I No, than to have said it. And you can't take it back then. All right? A lot of destruction happens because of the tongue. James said, watch your tongue. It says it is filled with evil, a world of evil. Your tongue, James said, can literally set your life on fire and with, and I quote, the fire of hell. You want to light yourself on fire with all kinds of hell? Just a little, 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 little. See every little thing that's coming into your head. Watch your tongue. Don't give in to all this nonsense. Anyway, Sodom and Gomorrah, they gave in to everything, and they were just totally out of control. The versions of immorality we can only begin to imagine that was going on. And it wasn't even so much that they were immoral. And this is the point I want you to get, because this is one of these parts of the Old Testament that is grossly misrepresentative, misrepresented by the book of Christians I've ever run into. They say, oh, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because they were gay. That's not true. We're going to see why he destroyed it. Was that part of it? That was part of it. The whole, country, the whole city was beyond. The problem was, is everybody had totally given in to corruption and their feelings and they're doing whatever they want to do and no restraint. Here's how we find out why the city was destroyed. So the men turned away and went toward Sodom. Not all of them. Two of them did, which we'll find out in a second. <clears throat> two of them gone, so the one stays there with Abraham. So the men turned away and went toward Sodom. And Abraham remains standing before the Lord. Now, Abraham's kind of freaking out because he knows it's bad in Sodom and Gomorrah. And his nephew Lot lives there with his family. And he doesn't want to see them get destroyed, so he's, he's kind of concerned. So Abraham starts, you know, <clears throat> talking to God, trying to uh, negotiate 
the situation. So Abraham approached the Lord and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? <clears throat> what if there's 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and spare not the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? The answer, of course, is no, he wouldn't. So hold back this nonsense. You know, I've heard Christians, I've even heard preachers say, you know, if God doesn't destroy San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. They're pinheads saying these stupid things like that. Maybe because of a certain type of people that are doing bad stuff or a city like uh, New Orleans that's, you know, given to all kinds of really bad stuff. That's not why God destroyed those cities. He destroyed it because there weren't even 50 people in there that were righteous. So he said, we did destroy it for right, 50 righteous people. And uh, uh, far be it from you to uh, kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you not judge? Will you not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, look, if I find 50 righteous people in the city, I will spare the whole place for its sake. That's all it would take. Are you hearing me? So stop speaking condemnation. I'm just so fried. This Christian always condemning groups of people and oh, this city's going to be destroyed and God's going to bring judgment on America and everything because of... Wait a minute. Well, he did it to Sodom and Gomorrah. There weren't even 50 people there that could do the right thing. And in fact, the number gets lower. So he says, uh, if I find 50 righteous people there, I will spare them. I will not do that. So then Abraham thought about it and said, now that I've been so bold as to speak, uh, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, he's just trying to be humble. He says, well, what, 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 if, what if the number's five less than 50? <laughs> I mean, if 50 is the standard, I mean, you're going to show the whole city because of the short five people? And uh, he, uh, the Lord says, look, if I find 45, I will not destroy. Once again, Abraham says, what if there's only 40? What are you going to do then? And the Lord says, for the sake of 40, I wouldn't do it. Abraham says, look, don't get mad, okay? I just, I just, I got to get this off. I'm just saying, you know, what if, what if there's only 30? And God said, I will not do it if I find 30. Well, now that I've been so bold, you know, I just, you know, what if there's only 20? The Lord says, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Abraham says, oh, don't get mad at me, okay? I just got to ask it one more time. All right. Well, what if there's just 10? And what did the Lord say? For the sake of 10, I would not destroy it. That's all it would take. Don't get caught up with these religious pharisaical pinheads who are running around condemning and saying all oh, this judgment's coming out, you know, because, and they put us in the category of like countries like cities like Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff like that. That's, it, it wasn't destroyed because there was such weakness in it. It was destroyed because there was only wickedness in it. There weren't even 10 people. God says all it would take is 10 and I wouldn't do it. All right? So change this thinking. Change this nonsense. And these people who always say, oh, God, you know, hates gays. That's why he killed Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, they were sexually immoral with all kinds of sexual immorality. And I get it, and I understand the rules. But that's not why he killed or destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, we'd just been through the flood. The world was so corrupt that he had to destroy everything. So he starts over again with Noah, and now he changes different. He acts differently with people. 
First thing he does, he gets them speaking different languages, spreads them all over the world. He's trying to quarantine culture so they can't become one gigantic poisonous deal again. And even in that deal, if you got one group that's totally without the possibility of being redeemed, that is when the judgment of God would come on a nation and wipe out. Because they were so poisoned, you want to better to deal with that than let this spread all over the place and have the same problem we had before the flood. That is why those things happen. Whenever you read that God brought judgment on a, a city or a nation and stuff like that, they were totally, wholly, without hope and completely corrupt. And if you look at it, because we just read, well, the Lord attacked us, such and such, ites, Ammonites, parasites, whatever, you know. And it's, oh, why would God do that? You'd look at it historically, because they got records of these. These were bad places, in the words of our president. They were bad hombres, all right? Bad dudes. They were bad dudes. I mean, it's awful, awful, awful. And that's what brings it. So don't be going around, oh, God's going to kill, you know, God hates. Bible says you should kill, you know, someone who's sexually immoral. Really? Don't be throwing that at people, because the same rule said you were supposed to kill almost everybody. If you worked on a Saturday, did any physical labor, you should kill them. Some of y'all, just for what you did yesterday, you'd be toast. <laughs> if you use God's name in vain, kill them. They had to take care of a bunch of you right there. If you disobeyed your parents, now you're in trouble. Kill them. All the rules, no matter what they do. What should we do? They, kill them. Holy cow. I mean, Moses was like intense. Consequently, people really behaved themselves for quite a while because the rules were so strict. And the Bible says all that was just to keep a nation pure enough. Remember, all the poison of all the... Keep one nation pure enough so the Messiah could come. That was the point. Of, now we're, we don't do the law anymore. Now we live by grace. We don't go around killing people. Bless you. All right, so... Uh, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So we're down to 10. Now, chapter 19. Now the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed. Right away, he could tell. No, these dudes are angels. I don't know how, but apparently it was very angelic, however they looked. And he says, my lords, please come to, your, come to my house. You can wash your feet, spend the night, watch some TV. It'll be awesome. Put on the game relax. Then you can go your way in the morning. Angel said, no, 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 we'll just, we'll just sleep in the square. So they're hanging out in public. Everybody can see them. But he insisted, Lot insisted so strongly that they finally did go with him and entered his house. And he prepared a meal for them again, <laughs> the slow version, baking bread <laughs> and whatever. And then they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all of the men from every part of the city of Sodom. Now remember, this is a totally corrupt narcissistic culture that said no to any impulse they had. And part of it was this kind of behavior. Both young and old surrounded the house. They called Lot. Where are the men you came with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. I mean, these guys were out of their minds. They saw some really pretty dudes. Apparently these angels were like, you know, hey. Right? I mean, who'd have an ugly angel? Right? I bet you they're all really good looking. Like looking in the mirror. All right, so... They see these guys and go, whoa, come on, bring those guys out here. We want a party. And Lot went outside, shut the door behind him, says, guys, don't do this. Verse 9, get out of our way. They talk about Lot, this fellow came here as a foreigner, because he did. He just came in. Uh, he was traveling with uh, Abraham before that, but he goes into the city. Now this foreigner wants to play the judge. Don't judge us. And that's one thing people always say, no matter how bad they, no matter how corrupt they are. Don't judge us. Don't judge us. 
Well, the Bible says don't judge. It's not talking about this kind of stuff. The obvious stuff that is not the giant of judging that they think the Bible speaks again. Judging when you, judging, the kind of judging you're not supposed to do when somebody does something and you don't know why they do it and you make up the reason why. Right? Someone does something. Why do that? Because she's a jerk. You don't know that. Or because, you know, that's judging. Don't be doing that. But if somebody walks in with an ax and starts axing people, he's an ax murderer. <laughs> this is not judging. All right? When people act blatantly, and so when you say something, that's not judging. That's just common sense. So who is this guy? So they kept bringing pressure on Lot. And they moved forward to break down the door. But the angels inside, <laughs> open the door, reach in, pull Lot back in the house, shut the door, and then struck the men with blindness. Zzz, young and old. So they couldn't find the door. Then the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? Sons and daughters, sons, sons-in-law, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Why? Because they're going to bring judgment on the city and you need to get out. Because as long as they're there, the judgment can't come. Always remember this whole Sodom and Gomorrah stuff. It's because they were totally, wholly corrupt in every conceivable way. And there weren't even 10 good people in there. So, uh, verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. They hadn't actually got married yet. And he says, hey, guys, we got to go. Let's go. The Lord's about to destroy the city, but the son-in-laws didn't take him seriously. Those sons-in-laws. <laughs> they thought he was joking. Nah, I mean, he's just kidding around. Well, with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters and get out of here. Or you will be swept away when the city is punished. And they hesitated. Oh, they're waiting for the son-in-law. What's going on? What's happening? This is our house. The Bible says, where is it? I lost it. My eyes went off. <laughs> when the husband, the angels, the men grabbed their hands and the hands of his wife and the daughters and they, and they pulled them out of the city. They physically grabbed them and pulled them out of there. And as soon as they brought them out, one of the angels says, run, run, flee for your lives and don't look back. Now, I've never encountered an angel that I'm aware of. But when an angel tells you clearly, an angel from the Lord, run and don't look back, you run and you don't look back. Verse 24, then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone, and wiped out the entire city, all the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, because it was totally, wholly corrupt. Why would he do that? It's like cancer. It's like you got to cut it out or it'll kill the whole body. Up to this time, he didn't do that, and it destroyed everything, and the whole thing had to be reset with the flood. Now he's doing surgery, and he did this throughout history. Totally corrupt cultures would all of a sudden, massive judgment would come and wipe them out. And that's what he does here. Verse 26, but Lot's wife, the wife. I wonder what he meant. And she became a pillar of salt. <clears throat> now, this is a real important principle that even Jesus talked about. In Luke, the ninth chapter, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, he says, remember Lot's wife. Don't, don't start serving God and, and keep doing this. And man, a lot of people do that. 
Some of y'all do it. I love y'all. I do. I love all y'all. Stevens Point, Apples, all you guys here. But I know some of you. That's your whole Christian experience. You're serving the Lord, but you're always going like this. Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. And, oh, I wish I hadn't made that mistake. And oh, that bad thing happened to me, and I can't forgive that idiot. And oh, uh, the problem is when you're looking back, you're going to fall again. And then after you fall, you'll get up, and now you'll be staring at that mistake for the next 20 years. Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. I should have been looking. Don't do that. Quit trying to reconcile your past. I know it's a big thing today. And in psychology, they're trying to get people to heal from their past. Look, if that works for you, God bless you. We've got Christian psychologists, Christian ministers, you know, help you heal from your past. Some of them are crazy, though. I was at one. I was just, they're all trying to do a group healing for wounds of the past. They started with, imagine yourself coming down the birth canal. And the discomfort you feel. I said, man, I feel discomfort talking about the birth canal. What are you talking about? What the heck is this? Just obsessed, trying to, all the wounds and hours of the... The Bible doesn't say to heal your past. I know some of you are desperately trying to heal your past. I'm telling you the truth. The Bible says you kill your past. Jesus died on the cross, and with it, your past is crucified on that cross. It is dead. It is gone. Let it go. Quit doing this routine. Paul wrote about this in Philippians. If you were here on our Wednesday night Bible study, which you should be, you slackers, you'd all know this, but I'll bring it up again. In Philippians, right after he talked about scuba, he said, listen, I haven't reached perfection yet. Okay? And he says, brothers and sisters, I, I do not consider myself as yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. So he said, I don't have this all perfect yet, but there's one thing I got. If there's one thing I got, it's this. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. This is the success of the man. Forgetting the past, looking forward. Stop living back here. You can't fix it. Well, somebody heard me back there. Well, let it go. Forgive him. Move on. Jesus said, or, the, or Paul wrote, he says, anyone who is in Christ, old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. That's what happens in baptism. You're supposed to be baptized, and in baptism, we now, our old life is being buried. Your past is buried under the water. Your sins are buried under the water. All those terrible things that happen to you are buried under the water. You come out, you now walk in a new life. Don't keep walking in a new life doing this. By the way, Uh, we're going to be having a baptismal service the Wednesday before Easter. All right? So if you come to faith new over the, you know, this last year or so, you haven't been baptized yet, contact the church, your campus, whatever. Say, I want to get baptized. These are great services, and you should do it. The Bible talks about believing and being baptized. Not about baptizing when you don't know what's going on and believing. Okay? You believe and get baptized. If you haven't done this yet, you need to do it. All right? So, from all of this, remember Lot's wife. Don't, don't, don't live in the past, okay? Don't be turning around looking backward all the time. Let's walk forward. You say, well, pastor, I still have issues. Paul said he still had issues. But one thing he figured out, forgetting what's behind, looking forward. Have you done this? Maybe you're listening to me this morning right now. Maybe you're watching us on television right now. You've been listening to this goofy show for a long time. You don't go to church, but you listen to this. And 
maybe the lights are coming on, you realize the only way to fix your past and your sins is to put your faith in Christ. See, a lot of y'all, I know what you do. You're thinking, well, I'm not such a bad guy. I know I did bad things, but I did some good things too. You know, I helped a little old lady across the street and, and I pulled the puppy out of the mud and I washed it off and that's, that's all going to balance. It doesn't balance off. There's delusional thinking. All y'all who think, well, I'll just be a little bit better than I am. That's how I get into heaven. I'll just be a little bit better than I am bad and I'm not as bad. You should meet my neighbor. You know, you think I'm bad. Have you met my mother-in-law? You know, I mean, it's, that's what you think. We always will find someone worse than us and we think, well, I'm not that bad. What a jerk. I'm not near as big as I'm part of a jerk, but I'm not as big a jerk as that guy. And I'm just a little bit better than us. No, that's not how this works. The scales are like this. We're all in trouble. Our sins weigh us down. You're helping a puppy out of the mud. Isn't going to do jack. The only way to fix the sins and mistakes of your past is to put your faith in Jesus and let him take it away in his glorious salvation that he did on that cross. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for the power, the miracle that happens on that cross when we put our faith and trust in you. Lord, that our sins are washed away and we are truly washed clean and walk in newness of life. Lord, for some of my brothers and sisters listening to me right now and they are still looking over their shoulders, Lord, please help them get a clue. Stop looking over. Quit trying to fix which isn't back behind them. Trust it to the cross and put their faith in Jesus so they can start walking in true freedom, true joy, and true peace, looking toward eternity, walking successfully and joyously with Jesus, free from our past. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.